0: Shalom and welcome to Israel. It's midnight from Jerusalem, our weekly virtual worship service and a collaboration, of course, between the Congregation of the Word and loveisrael.org. We're going to begin with a call to worship. Usually we do so from the book of Psalms, and we're going to do that at this time. So I invite you to take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Psalms and Psalm 27. We're going to look at one verse, the seventh verse. And it speaks of the importance of prayer, calling upon the name of the Lord and doing so in faith and expecting God's response. Verse seven. Shema Hashem Koli Ekra Vehaneni Va which means, hear, O Lord, my voice i will call and this is a crying out a petitioning i will call and and the implication is you be gracious and you respond you answer me so he's seeking god's grace that god would be gracious unto him and that he would respond and let me encourage you that when we call upon the name of the lord god hears God will be gracious and God will respond in a way that restores us. And one of the last things that we're going to see in our study this evening is how God does indeed bring about a restoration, a renewal, a healing to his people. And we're going to see how he does it in a very, very unique way. So with that said, let's turn to another place. In the Tanakh, the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, and chapter 6 for the Shema, word says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad, via et Adonai Elohecha pe levavcha uva ko napshecha uva meodecha v'hayu hadvarim hai asher anokim it's vechayon al leva vecha. Veshina shina Levanecha, tam de vanecha ve de bartan bam ve shipta ga ve tte ga uf le tte ga ba derk u shartam le ot a yadeha ve hayu le tote fot ben aneha uf taptam au missa zot and now let us move into a time of prayer o oh lord our god we exalt your name we glorify you, we praise you, we we give you thanks. For you are God worthy of all these things and more. Lord, we know that you have looked kindly upon your creation, that you have saw our hurt, our sickness, our sin, all these things that are apart from what you have planned and desired and that you have sent your only begotten Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, into this world in order that we could be restored, that we could be healed, that we could be forgiven, and that we could become a new creation in Him. And for this, we thank you. For this, we praise you. We give you honor and glory. That your love, you demonstrated to us why we were in sin, Without hope and loss, you changed us by giving us new life, eternal life, and causing us to become that new creation in Messiah Yeshua. We thank you for his blood that brings about all of these changes, that gives us eternal redemption and a hope that will not disappoint. Lord, we pray tonight for those who are sick, those who are in need of healing, those who are hurting, those who are struggling, whatever it might be, we know that that your help is sufficient. Lord, we pray that you would use us. As you have ministering angels, we pray that you would use us to do your work, that you would empower us, that you would give us insight, that you would give us knowledge, that you would guide us so that we can be a blessing to others, that we can do what you have called us to do. Lord, we pray for a spirit of humility, a spirit of of submissiveness to fill our souls, that we might walk not in arrogancy, not in the pride that you hate, but Father God, understanding ourselves as you see us, knowing that we are simply dirt, that you have turned into something that you can use to reflect your image, your glory, your purposes, your will in this world. And we thank you, Father, for the gift of life and eternal life, for being transformed and being your servants. Lord, all these things we pray in the blessed name of Messiah Yeshua. Amen when we look at the apostle paul he was a man of great faith not just faith in regard to what god has promised but also faith in what a person who is totally surrendered to the truth of god can accomplish paul had high expectations that god can use individuals to do his work and can bring change, a great change, in this world. So let me ask you, do you want to be a source of change? Not just in your life, but in your family, in your community, and even beyond. What is so exciting about the book that we're studying, First Timothy, is that here in this book, God reveals through what he inspired Paul to write down principles, truth, many words of of instruction in order that we will do things that are supernatural, that there will be a transformation in our life and where we go, that we're called to have a great influence. And what he shares with Timothy are the principles, the truth, in order to accomplish that so let's begin Take out your bible and look with me to first timothy chapter four now again in these verses that we're going to be looking at this evening we see instructions we see an emphasis upon doctrine the truth of god what the scripture reveals and it's only when we apply these things properly to our life in faith in submissiveness with an expectation that God's going to move in light of these things, then we're going to be individuals that are going to be instruments of change and that we're going to see a glorious change, a godly change, a righteous change, a holy change in, in where we are. We're called to have an influence. Let's begin. We started this chapter last week. And we're going to begin where we left off, and that is in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. Now, as always, I want to be translating from the Greek in a very literal way. So pay attention between what you're hearing and what you're seeing. And it might give you encouragement to go back and to pay greater attention to what is literally said in this passage. We read in verse 6, these things set before the brethren. Now, the term brethren is really brothers in the plural, but it's an inclusive term. Oftentimes in Greek, we see the same thing in Hebrew, that the masculine plural, plural is used, but it's inclusive to women as well. So he says, these things, these things which he has said and what he's going to be revealing, he says, lay these things before, set them. And literally, it's a word for set these things under, meaning this. These are the things that are the foundations of our faith for the brothers and sisters. Why? In order that, he says, you be A good servant of who? Of Messiah Yeshua. Having been nourished with words, the words of faith. So I think it's a very significant term here. Having been nourished. It's the word of God that nourishes us and that nourishment provides strength. There's a benefit. There's an outcome. When you are undernourished, you don't think well. You don't behave well. It hinders every aspect of that person's existence. So when we are nourished properly in and with the words of God, the words of faith, there's going to be an outcome. It is going to enable us, as he says here, to be a good servant of Messiah Yeshua. And really it begins with a decision, and that's this. Do you want to be a good Servant. See, too many people who claim the name Yeshua, really, they're not interested in serving. They just want to receive. They want God to be doing things for them rather than understanding that their salvation gives them the potential. It sets them on a course in order that they be doers of these words of faith, that they act in the light of his truth in The life of others. That's what he's emphasizing here. And it goes on to say, and the good doctrines. So it says here that one of the things, and we see a correlation between how the scripture is set up, between good doctrines, the good teachings and being a good servant. These two things go together. And then he tells us also, that we follow these things following he says you follow them closely so this means that 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 timothy is called to give great attention that you follow after these things closely with with great concern with great emphasis in your life now look at verse 2 but the and it's talking about those things That are are profane, and what it is is those things that it's better not to embark in. Meaning, have no relationship with these things. So the things which are profane that you ought to stay away from, he says. But the profane and uses the word myth, and the, the word that describes it is a word that describes an older woman. So an old woman's tale is what it's speaking about here. He says these things, and he uses a strong word, he says, refuse, reject, do not have anything to do with them, in other words. So the good doctrine, those things that nourish, those things that are based upon the truth of God, he says, these things, that you need to be nourished in, and that you need to, to, to walk closely following after them. But in contrast to that, and that's why we have the particle day to show in conflict with this, that which is profane, old wives' tell, these things you refer, refrain from. But, second part of verse seven, but train yourself for godliness or with godliness and this all comes out to one purpose that word for godliness deals with a a righteous behavior something that manifests the attributes the character of god as only the spirit of god will allow so we need to in short what he's saying is be very careful and what you are are placing within you spiritually what is the food that you are consumption consuming is it the word of nourishment from the words of faith or is it nothing more than myths and legends and one of the problems that we see in Judaism and we see this same thing happening within Christianity is that there is a growing emphasis upon what i would call fabricated testimony things that that people are saying that i don't believe are true whatsoever all of these uh experiences that people say oh they died and they went to hell or they died or were close to death and they were taken to heaven for a moment and they come back with some message these things are what he's talking about these tales these myths stay away from them what we should be nourished upon are the words of faith from scripture now does that mean that testimony doesn't have a place no testimony can be powerful but you need to pay attention to the one who's testifying who they're associating with and how that testimony is being used if it's always been used to sell so-called resources i would run from it because this is simply manipulation, and we see it so frequently on on Christian television networks. These testimonies now buy this resource, buy this book, buy these CDs and such, so that you can, whatever, not of godliness. Move on. He says in verse verse 8, for bodily exercise is of, A little benefit. So it has a benefit, but it's a little benefit. But he goes on to say, but godliness, it says, with all is beneficial. And the importance is this, that physical exercise, it has a benefit in a small way. But godliness, when it's exercise, it has a benefit in every aspect in all ways that's what he's saying here and then he talks about holding the promise of of life this present life and that one which is coming so when we exercise godliness it has a benefit now in this present life and in the life that's coming those things that are in the future It prepares us for what we will experience both in this world and in the kingdom of God. So it's not that bodily exercise is of no value. It's of little value in comparison to godliness. Walking in the truth of the word of God, exercising a behavior, and he's going to be speaking about how important behavior is Now, this is where people sometimes get confused, and that is this. We're not saved by our behavior. That is a fact. We're saved by grace. But the problem is, therefore, people think that our behavior, our deeds, our actions aren't important. That's not what the Word of God reveals. We need to see that it's speaking about two different aspects, important aspects of one's life. One is how we're justified, how we're saved. And the other is how we live having been saved by God's grace. And this is going to become clearer in a moment. Look now to verse 9. Now 9, this verse begins with the word faith or faithful. And it says the word faithful, it's a faithful word. That's what he has for us. And it says that it's worthy for all receiving, that we receive the word because it's faithful and we receive it fully. We don't doubt, we don't take partial, well, I'll accept this, but I won't accept this. This is for some other time, it's not for now. All of these violate, those thoughts violate what he's saying here in verse nine where it says, The word is faithful and worthy for all receiving all acceptance verse 10 for this also we labor and we suffer reproach so we do these things we work at them and we're willing to suffer reproach now i would would highlight that because there's a difference if you're following A newer translations, it is not based upon the same Greek text that I'm using. And they will have a different word. It's similar, but it's different. They will have a word that speaks to striving. Now, the best text has a different concept. Why? Well, when we look at the verse, look again at verse 10. Verse 10. For this also we labor. Now, this word for laboring is very closely related to striving. It's a word of work, of doing, of action, of effort. Now, if you follow the the Nestle Allen text, it will have the word strive, which is very similar to the first word, similar in meaning. But if you follow the Texas Receptus, which I have, it has a very different word in meaning it doesn't mean to strive but rather it speaks to the fact that as we labor as we work we are also going to suffer reproach how to understand this very simply when we stand up for good doctrines the doctrines of scripture we are going to be scoffed at we are going to be criticized we are going to be called names we are going to be seen as a bigot seen as a hater seen as all types of negative things this is what the texas receptus this word is relating to that yes as we toil understand that this labor is not going to be applauded by the world but rather it says here that we are going to suffer reproach that we're going to be looked down upon but that's okay why He says, because we hope upon the living God. Now, normally in Greek, when it speaks about hope, the preposition that follows it is upon. And it just tells us that the foundation of faithfulness is hope. We build off the hope that the word of God reveals. Understand this. I've said this many times, but this is important. And that is this. There is a strong correlation, I like to say, an inherent relationship between hope and the written promises of God we find in the Scripture. It is those promises that should be the foundation of our our spiritual commitment. Now we're not talking primarily about doctrine, theological doctrine. We're talking about promises that God makes when we implement his doctrine into our life what we can expect god ultimately to do and and oftentimes this word hope is related to the kingdom promises so notice what he says again verse 10 for and then literally it says for for this two different words and it makes it most emphatic it emphasizes for this This doctrine, this truth, this call, this purpose. He says, for this also we labor and we endure reproach. We suffer reproach because we hope upon the living God who is, and now it's going to get very interesting. Who is the savior of all men, especially Believers. Now, many people look at that and say, wait a second. I mean, he saves everyone. This is not what it says. It says that he is the savior to everyone. No one is going to be saved apart from him. He came and did the work, and this challenges one of the doctrines of reform theology. And I'm speaking about Calvinism. Calvinism speaks of, and they even use the wrong term because when we look at messiah he did not come simply to atone but rather more than that he came to redeem and there is a huge difference between these two concepts atonement is a covering a atonement does not remove one's guiltiness it only keeps the punishment the judgment at a distance for a future time redemption deals sufficiently perfectly with that sin removes it erases it so there's no longer any judgment uh hanging over us it's all been dealt with and we've been totally forgiven and the judgment goes away because messiah took it up for upon himself for us so Calvinism it speaks about a limited atonement. What do they mean by that? That Messiah only died for the elect. His blood was never given for the the individuals who would be lost. Now there's many scriptures that speak against this. Where it says for example in 1 John where it says that he died not only for us but for the world for all the sins of the world very important of course john 3 16 for god so loved the world not just the elect but the world that he gave his only begotten son and what this scripture is saying here look again at the end of verse 10 who is the savior of all men meaning there is no other savior than god god messiah yeshua but namely he is going to be the savior in in practice in reality of who the believers he's the savior of humanity but the only ones who's going to receive that salvation are believers verse 11 he says here that you are to to command these things and also teach command them meaning this it's not a a question of of suggesting wanting people to give them consideration a very strong concept he says command these things and also also teach and then verse 12 we know that timothy he is not a novice meaning he is not new to the faith he is a mature believer but he is still young he has a youthfulness about him. And notice what Paul says to Timothy to encourage him. He says, verse 12, no one your youth, youthfulness, let despise. And the word here is to think down, a a condemning. So he says, let no one condemn you because of of your youth, but? Don't focus on what people are saying about you, but rather, he says, but be, and this is an example, a pattern. So he says, don't focus upon what others are saying because you're a young man. He's a mature believer in faith. And he says, be an example, a pattern for believers in the word. So for those who believe in the word, you be an example of that. And to do so, and notice what's emphasized. How do you have that influence? How do you bring change in a situation? He's going to tell us in this verse. In my opinion, this verse is one of the most practical ones and insightful ones within all of this epistle. He says, be an example for believers in the word. In behavior, in love, it says here in the Texas Receptus, in spirit. I believe Nestle Allen ignores that, eliminates that. In love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Now, these things are foundation. Let's look at them again. He says, be an example for believers, to these believers, in the word. Now, the words mentioned first because it's the foundation. It is where we learn all the other things we're talking about. The next thing he speaks about is behavior. How do I know the right behavior? It's in the word. Scripture reveals it to us. So he's emphasizing, be this pattern. Give this example. You live in a way that describes what faithfulness is all about, how to apply properly the word of God to your life. And that's going to impact behavior. It is going to manifest love. It is going to be done in the spirit. It is going to be a outcome of faithfulness and it's all going to manifest purity. Now I want to talk a moment about this word purity. In the Hebrew Bible, we have two concepts. Tameh and Tahor. Tameh is impure, defiled. And of course, Tahor would be purity. Now, how can we understand this in a practical sense? Because we all want God to move in our life, to do something, to bring change. And the question is, is he going to do that? Well, it depends. When we are in a condition of impurity, Defilement. What is that? We're not walking in truth. We are not demonstrating faith. We do not have the proper behavior. We are not exemplifying and sharing love. We are not being moved and empowered by the Spirit. Whenever these things are are happening in our life, we know something. That, That the cause of it is defilement. God does not work in that which is impure. But purity, in fact, what I want to share with you is from an Old Testament perspective, that which is tame, that which is impure, basically rejects the blessings of God, rejects the word work of God in a life, meaning this. When something's impure, something is defiled, God is not going to deal with it. It is going to be set aside by God. But that which is pure, that is going to be a recipient. Purity brings about the work of God. So a pure one will be a recipient of the work of God. And that work of God is going to be leading to one being blessed. So this concept of purity is so important. Move on now to verse 13 now all of these things he's saying to timothy and remember we saw earlier in our study that paul's desire is to visit him he's writing this first epistle in order to set things in order to give counsel to timothy in order that the people of the congregation understand the the mind of god for a local congregation so he says i'm writing you this until I come, but he says, Until I come, he says, hold fast. That means deal faithfully, behave frequently with what? Well, we have a word for readings. And what it's speaking about here is probably, and most Bibles, I believe, translated this way, talking about the public reading. Remember, not everyone had a, a copy of scripture at their home. In order to hear and be taught the word of God, they had to come to an assembly where someone who was knowledgeable, trained both in the word of God and in and, and, and reading the scripture could proclaim it. Now, this is very similar to what we see in the Jewish community because in the Jewish community, three times a week on Shabbat, on Mondays and on Thursdays, traditionally, the word of God was read publicly and people would interrupt their life in order to hear scripture. And this is what we're supposed to do today. We may have the Bible at our home. We may have it on our phone, on our laptop, tablet, whatever. Interrupt your day in order that you publicly read, meaning this, that you assemble, that you get with someone in order that you read out loud scripture there's a benefit this is what it's saying here there's a benefit of reading out loud the word of god so he says hold fast until i come hold fast this reading and also the encouragement and the teaching the doctrine so read encourage and emphasize doctrine now i really wonder today how many congregations and we know there are some but i think it's dwindling the number that really emphasize the reading of the word of god and then the teaching that's supposed to stem from that reading is clearly connected to the text all too often people might read a verse or two or read a passage But when they get up to speak, what they're talking about is entirely different, loosely related to, if all, what was read. This is not what Paul is admonishing. He is making a correlation between the reading of the word, encouraging people to follow that word, and then training through doctrines on how to implement that word in one's life. This is what he's telling Timothy. Emphasizes, continue, hold fast to these three things, reading the word, revealing it, encouraging people to do it, and then training them how to implement biblical doctrine in their life. Verse 14. He says many positive things to do, and he says many uh, warnings for a believer. And he says here, a warning, verse 14 do not neglect in you the gift so in otherwise utilize the the gift that god has given to you exercise walk in that gift and he wants timothy to know that this gift was given he reminds him it came it was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands of the elder, some will say the eldership. It's simply the word elder singular, but it may in fact be be referring to the body of elders. Now, what we find in this passage of scripture is that there is an emphasis upon utilizing the the gift that God has given to, to a believer. And in this case, it was confirmed to Timothy by an elder or an elder board, an eldership. And it was was given to him through the laying on of hands. Verse 15. These things, and I believe some translations might say meditate, it's a word of practice. Not just thinking, but but Doing. So I think it's better to translate verse 15. These things practice. Let them exist in you. So in you, these things are to exist. What things? All what, what, what Paul has been discipling Timothy with. Just don't emphasize a few of them. Just don't focus on the ones that, that are, are easiest or the ones that you tend to agree with. But he says, these things and the implication is all of these things you practice let them exist in you literally if we take it literally it says you exist in these things you have your life your existence your being in these things a very strong term one's life is is in if you're a believer the doctrines the truth the admonitions of the word of god and now go to to the second part of verse 15 it says in order that your progression moving forward now what this implies is this it is only when we practice this this truth we apply it we implement it in our life then are we going to mature we're going to grow and that's why he says here, these two things are put together in order that your progression and it's a word for manifest. I think some Bibles may translate it is evident that your progression in order that your progression be, be manifested. And it says among all. Now that can mean among all people in a very public way. They can see. Timothy's growing his maturity god working in his life but it can also mean and it doesn't have to be an either or it can also mean that this progression this maturity is going to manifest itself in all aspects of his life that he is going to grow in a holistic way in a believer's entirety meaning every aspect of one's being and this is what true faithfulness does it brings all of the person under the authority of god and that's really what 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 paul is striving for for timothy that timothy would be someone who brings every aspect of his life every aspect of his very being under the authority of god's truth now we could say under god himself but we do that By submitting to his truth. By practicing, implementing in his life, God's commands, his instructions for us. Well, let's move on to the last verse, verse 16. Where he says, Guard yourself, hold fast, in other words. Now, it's a word which means to hold upon. So, however you want to translate it, take heed hold on to yourself also the teachings, meaning this, guard yourself, take heed of yourselves. It is a term of warning. Now, this word is used frequently by Yeshua in regard to the last days where it says, take heed. It's a word which means to, to be perceptive, to understand the things of this world. And what I mean by that is to have discernment. And it's not an accident that we see him saying, no, take heed of yourself. Also, the teaching could be understood as the doctrines. Because it's when we apply doctrines, biblical doctrines to our life, the truth of scripture, then and only then are we going to have that discernment that we can keep ourselves. When we are ignoring biblical doctrine not thinking that this is important not emphasizing it properly not not submitting to it what happens is we're not going to be able to guard ourselves in other words when we do not walk in biblical truth it will weaken ourselves spiritually we will be easily manipulated by the enemy we will not be able to hold fast we will not be able to remain we will be worn down so it's biblical truth that gives us strength now let me just simply say and this isn't emphatically seen in the text but it's seen in the scripture and that is this one of the things that we're called to do against evil is to contend many scriptures speak about this contending for the faith, going to spiritual war. But understand, there's a time when we're not called to to confront, but flee. And what's the difference? See, this is a huge biblical truth, and that's this. As long as I am, am contending, striving against, warring against that which is untrue, that which is against the the doctrines of scripture when this is going on we fight but we need to have discernment because once one begins to experience hear this carefully temptation he's not supposed to contend with temptation we're supposed to flee temptation so we're talking about two different things see many people And why this is fresh to me is because I had done some counseling this week where an individual simply was struggling with something. And he felt the godly thing to do would be to remain and try to fight it. And he failed. So when it's temptation, as we see in the principle of Joseph in Egypt, flee, run away. But when we are contending against against falsehood, we fight. So having discernment, knowing what is the proper response to fight or to flee. Air, falsehood, we fight. Temptation. If we're undergoing temptation, we flee. Here he's talking about, about warring against those things that are contrary to truth. So he says, Guard yourself, hold fast yourselves also to doctrine to the teaching and it says just that the doctrine the teaching he says remain with them don't separate yourself from doctrines and and this is such an important truth and one that's violated today because it's very simple to to go up and do human counseling this is taking on a large part of what should be biblically-based preaching. What happens? We find that the people who are supposed to be Bible teachers are going and they're getting books on counseling, things along uh, uh, self-help, and they believe that this is going to make their teaching popular. Some have the best intent. They believe that this is going to make it very useful and practical to people. But here's the problem. We're not called to do that. Now, the Bible has truth in regard to counseling and principles in it. But if all we're doing is counseling, the person's going to be ill equipped to stand up against the enemy. No, what we see here is an emphasis on doctrine. And the problem today is that too many believers do not know the fundamental doctrines of the scripture and because they lack knowing the doctrines they do not have the capacity to exercise discernment so they come into a situation they don't have discernment and they are led astray they believe that which is false it is biblical doctrine that gives us discernment to understand what is truth and what is false what to speak against and what to to accept without a knowledge of doctrine You are not going to be able to contend so we see in this passage hold yourself fastly take heed among yourself and the implication is hold fast to the teaching remain with them for this do and this when you're doing it it also notice what he says saves yourself and the ones who are hearing you. Now, a lot of people have a problem. Wait, I thought Timothy was already saved. He is. This word is a very significant word. And this has caused a lot of people confusion. For example, a few weeks ago, we were talking about women in leadership and and someone sent me a teaching that a woman gave in conflict or contrasting what i said concerning women in leadership women teaching over men preaching and they took issue with the scripture that says she will be saved by childbirth well as we talked about and here's another example this word saving does not always mean saving in the sense of the forgiveness of sins and entering into an eternal covenant with God, the saving that comes from the gospel. This is a very broad word and it's used in different uh, uh contexts. And here it's talking about saving yourself, doesn't mean being saved from, from God's condemnation. This word saving can mean simply being healed many times in the new testament this word is used for someone who was sick in some way whether it was a spiritual problem or a physical problem the disease or demonic possession then being healed from that it uses this word they were saved it says nothing to do with their eternal salvation it simply speaks that at that time they were healed from that that disease that sickness or that that spiritual torment from a demon it can also mean simply to put things in order in a very broad sense it has a meaning of renewal a meaning of restoration putting things in a proper order so what he says simply here is nothing to do with salvation from a gospel context but simply being healthy spiritually being in the right order spiritually so he says hold fast yourself and hold fast the teaching remain with these things these teachings these principles for this doing doing these things also saves yourself meaning it has a positive a renewing a restoring it puts you in order and Those who hear these things that you are doing you are teaching that you've applied to your life when they apply to their life they're going to experience that same saving that same renewal that same restoration that same order in their life now let me conclude by saying this what paul is doing in teaching these things to timothy it is to put the local congregation how it is administered and put in order the very members themselves that both the institution that local congregation that entity and those who are part of it that there is a unity a growing a maturing and empowering a common vision a common practice on how to behave and to do things in order that the order of god is manifested why well let's conclude with this principle from the book of genesis and that's this in the beginning things were tohu vevohu. it lacked order that word can mean chaos there are many local congregations based upon their doctrines and their practices they're in chaos they lack the order that god would have it is only when god's order is maintained that things are going to be good and very good meaning this it is going to be In God's order, so that His glory, His presence, His power, His provision, all these things can be received and utilized so that the call of a local congregation, the call that you have on your life, that I have on my life, that these things can be fulfilled and they can be done in a way that's good. Behold, very good. And this is what Paul is sharing with Timothy the biblical truth having been inspired by the Spirit of God to write these things down without error. In order that the power of God is manifested, so ministry is done and the glory of God is released. This is what the local congregation, the individual believer, is called to do. Well, I'll close with that until next week. May God bless you. Shalom from Israel.